Hi everyone, I'm Carla, and I'm Iman, and you're listening to Screensaver, a podcast about all things pop culture, including TV, movies, books, and sports. In today's episode, we'll be discussing Guy Ritchie's latest spy thriller, The Man from U.N.C.L.E., starring Henry Cavill and Army Hammer. We'll talk about the characters that worked and didn't work for us, the movie's incredible soundtrack, and we'll try to answer the question, is Henry Cavill a good actor? It'll be fun. Stay with us. told me this was going to be a simple extraction. They were waiting for me. What was waiting for me was barely human. It tore the back off my car. Grow a spine, Solo. This is the most dangerous time in our history. We recently discovered an international criminal organization with an atom bomb. We have no choice but to work together on this. America teaming up with Russia. That doesn't sound very friendly. We'll leave you two to get acquainted. All right, so we talked about this movie a little bit in our Comic-Con episode. But for those people who are still a little unclear about what this movie is about, Iman, why don't you give a little plot description? Alright guys, here's a little plot talk. This movie takes place in the early 60s Cold War, and it's about an American spy, that's Henry Cavill's character, Napoleon Solo, and a Russian spy, Army Hammer's character, Elias. These two spies team up, to take down a criminal organization that has possession of a bomb that risks creating a lot of political chaos. The way that they try to infiltrate this criminal organization is by contacting the daughter of a scientist involved in it. And, not to give too much away, a lot of plot twists and double-crossing ensues. Yeah, I think that's a really great summary. It's your typical spy thriller-type movie. Lots of action, and the plot was a little weak, but, you know, for the most part, if you get past that, it's just a really fun, almost like a buddy cop type comedy, and um, that made it really enjoyable. So going into more of the character descriptions, what characters worked for you and which didn't work? Though I can't remember his last name, I did really love Elias, which was Army Hammer's character. This was a Russian spy that I think the movie actually spent time giving him somewhat of a of a backstory. Like you said, this movie was pretty light in terms of plot, and I think that the backstory it gave him, which is that um, he had a shamed father and mother and kind of grew up and was adopted by the KGB and becomes this really master spy... It's not something that we've never seen before, but I thought Army Hammer brought it enough depth, a pretty bad accent, well, a distracting accent, but even that, by the end of the movie, I was very okay with. Uh, yeah, I think one thing we should mention right off the bat is that Army Hammer is American, and he plays a Russian character mm-hmm. with a thick Russian accent, and Henry Cavill, who's British, plays an American 
So that right there gave it a, a really interesting dynamic, one that I certainly wasn't expecting. You know, that was a, a little distracting at first, but once you get past it, yeah, like you said, his name is Ilya Kuryakin. Okay. <laughs> I found him to be relatable in just a very, like, normal movie sort of way. Like, he just seems like a, a character that it's like, okay, troubled past, now yeah. he's really great at his job, and, and I liked him. I mean, he seemed very human. He had some rage issues, um, but <laughs> he's he, a character you can get behind. He had, there were elements of his character that you could latch onto. Okay, so what about the main character, Napoleon Solo? Uh, less feeling or emotions about him, to be honest. I mean, I really can't say that I absolutely adored him. I can't really tell you that I didn't like him. Mm -hmm. I think that the writing was a little lighter for him. His he he doesn't have rage issues. He has he's just a, a serial womanizer, but. And I, I can't really tell if this was the writing or Henry Cavill, but I kind of just didn't buy certain elements of the character. Another thing that I couldn't really place my finger on was how much of this character was based on the 1960s TV series that the man from UNCLE is, is based on. Oh, yeah. I probably should have mentioned that in Plot Talk, but yeah, this is based on a television show. So I feel like a lot of the, the spy tropes that come out are also based on that. So maybe that was a result of them trying to pay tribute or homage to that older television series. And and we did see a short clip from it, and it seemed like Henry Cavill was affecting that, that tone. That uh, 60s Amer early 60s American. I guess I was kind of just cool on that character, but Army Hammers was cool, and I, a third character that I'd like to mention, if I can, is the um, the the female character in this, who's the, the daughter of the scientist. Right, her name is Gabby. Gabby. She is portrayed kind of like a... She reminded me a lot of early Indiana Jones female characters. It was very hard-headed rough-and-tumble lady that can, like, hold her drink, and she likes dancing, and she's very bold, a very bold woman of the 60s. And I thought that that actually kind of got in the way of really treating her like a human at some parts. Yeah. I've complained about this with several movies, but yeah, I think her and, and there are some female villains later. I mean, it, it wasn't so much that women didn't have screen time in this movie. To me, it was just kind of that the women that were there and depicted were tropish. But then again, so were the men. So I think that was just kind of what this movie was doing. And we've said it and I'll say it again. It was just, it was plot light. And I, I, think, yeah. I think a trailer had described it as an homage to, or a love letter to spy movies or mm -hmm. something. I haven't seen enough spy movies to really know, but all I know is that, I mean, I had fun watching it, regardless yeah. of the characters. I think a huge contributing factor to the light tone was the chemistry between Henry Cavill and Army Hammer, which I totally wasn't expecting, but it was pretty great. It was very funny. Yeah. Unexpectedly hilarious. There were a lot of visual gags. There was a lot of just jokes between them that... A lot of double entendres. Yeah, but I would have thought, even in the trailers, like, it was something that the trailers really couldn't 
have had me anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was something that developed over the movie, and, and it was actually really enjoyable to watch. I just... I liked watching them. I I wasn't even paying attention to their accents by the end. It was just kind of like, oh, I like these. I like being with these two characters. The little frenemy dynamic, Mm -hmm. as corny and overdone as it is, it it worked. Yeah, it really reminded me of Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy in X-Men First Class. Interesting. The the bromance aspect to Mm -hmm. their relationship really reminded me of that. And I thought it was fun. And I had a lot of fun watching X-Men First Class as well. And I think, you know, that, like I said before, it really surprised me. And what really surprised me as well was the fact that I liked... Army Hammer's character so much more than I liked Henry Cavill's. Mm-hmm. And it sort of brings up a question that I know you and I have been asking ourselves for for a while now, and that's, is Henry Cavill a good actor, or does he just have really bad luck when it comes to, to scripts? Yeah, that's a really tough question. I mean, as we see in this one, Army Hammer got the meat, mm-hmm. uh, the, re- the real meat of this plotlight movie, which was that he has a troubled past or whatever. Yeah, Henry Cavill was just playing a pretty somewhat bland art dealer. He was supposed to be really charming, but I think the thing with Henry Cavill is that you see this in interviews, and I think you see it to some extent in his acting. He seems kind of uncomfortable with his good looks. He's almost squirmish when people make comments about how muscular he is or how how good looking he is yeah i think he's someone that's really willing i I, i've never doubted his commitment to work but i don't know about his commitment to the artistic work it seems like he's there like if you tell him go work out we need you to be in this shape he's done it and gone above and beyond Mm -hmm. but in terms of actually being present on screen it kind of feels like he's just talking and i promised i wouldn't go I wouldn't ramble too much about how how handsome this guy is, mm-hmm. but I do think that he's someone that when you're talking about him, it is kind of, I don't want to say it's an issue, but I feel like it's probably something that maybe really gorgeous actresses have to deal with. I mean, I don't know if he could play the everyman just because... Well, that's true. Just because he has... If, I, if you put him in a movie where he was just like an office worker. I mean, I guess he is in in, in Superman. It just looks ridiculous. Yeah. Having him in a normal suit, even in this movie, he was in clothing and he just looked so He looks like an action figure doll. Exactly. He, he doesn't look human. <laughs> <laughs> he was in, I think, I think Immortals was probably the most accurate casting, but that was a t- Terribly, again, terribly written movie. Yeah, I guess my my wish for him is just to be in a movie that's well written so that we can... The true test. Yeah, review his acting chops then. I'd love to see him in maybe something kind of John Hammy where it's comedic and poking fun at himself because I think that's somewhere where he won't be playing the everyman in a dramatic role, but that will give him an opportunity to poke fun at himself in a way that Superman and Immortals and I haven't seen Tudors, but I would assume Tudors and this movie really haven't let him stretch beyond his looks. Mm -hmm. So we've been questioning whether Henry Cavill was right for this role, and I think it's interesting to look at the other casting alternatives that 
the directors and filmmakers were considering for this movie because it helps us put things into perspective and think, well, could they have done a better job? Mm-hmm. One of these actors, well, two of them actually that were in consideration and were actually cast for some time were George Clooney and Tom Cruise. Oh, gosh. <laughs> they are quintessential American charming actors. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't have to deal with the accent issue. Yeah, and I think that they just carry a reputation of charm with them, even though they're much older actors. And they've also done spy movies in the Mm, past. So I totally understand this, but I also think, as you said, they're a little bit too old for this role. And they're kind of obvious choices. I mean, even for those actors, I don't think that these roles would be a reach for them. So Mm -hmm. maybe... Maybe they just wanted to do a fifth Mission Impossible instead. (laughs) Other actors that were in consideration were Ryan Gosling. I think that could have been interesting. Michael Fassbender. Again, another charmer. Another human charmer. I I like that. And Um, John Hamm, who, as Don Draper, already plays a 60s-era womanizer. Yeah. All very interesting casting choices, or they would have been interesting casting choices. I wonder if the dynamic would have changed playing off of Army Hammer. I think this was a movie that actually benefited from having two actors that, even though Henry Cavill has been in these huge box office movies, I don't think he's gained that much recognition on his own. Yeah, so I feel the same with Army Hammer. Exactly. I think... I. Um, I think that they actually benefit from being kind of on par. If you would have cast, if you would have cast a, a Ryan Gosling, if you would have cast a, a, a George Clooney, a Tom Cruise, instantly, one would have outshined the other. It, yep. And I feel like the fact that they were both on equal footing gave us the opportunity to look at these characters and be surprised by the fact that, hey, I didn't think I would like Army Hammer's character, and I actually liked him way more than Henry Cavill's, so... Yeah, I think it gave us the opportunity to be surprised by not not actors we've never seen, but actors that are kind of still on the rise. Right. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Now, we both agree that the plot and characters in this movie were relatively weak, but shifting gears for a moment, let's focus in on some of the things that we thought really worked in this movie. And I thought we could start with just the art direction and the visuals. Oh, this movie. (laughs) From the opening credits, I feel like as a movie, I'd give it maybe... If you define a movie as a well-constructed plot, well-acted and all that, it's scoring pretty low. Mm -hmm. But movie as moving images? Oh, gorgeous. Yeah, it was just really fun to watch. There are a lot of action sequences in this movie, and none of them felt long or drawn out or even jarring. Instead, they were just very visually engaging and really fun to watch. Yeah, I think fun is the important word there. I think it was a very active, dynamic, constantly moving. It was just so compelling to watch. Um, I mean, I said it was was gorgeous, and I've said that about Mad Max as well, but I think where Mad Max turned into 
uh, high art. I think this was almost like pulp or pop art where it just felt like it was fun. It was like junk, not junk food, but it was just like really fun to consume and watch things moving on screen. Uh, some of the devices were like split screens, which seemed felt very like old 60s era movies. Mm -hmm. The movie seemed to be color graded in such a way so that it would look like a movie from the 60s. It seemed like so much care had been put into maintaining that aesthetic and I loved it. Yeah, it really worked. Another technique that they were using were, the movie has a lot of subtitles because a lot of the actors speak, of course, they speak Russian, Italian, and German. And even the font choice for the subtitles seemed very true to the era. There were some points in the movie where half the screen would be taken up by words, which almost felt like something you'd see in a Tarantino movie. Oh, yeah. So v that was just super engaging and exciting to watch. It felt like a... How long was this movie? Do we... Know? A little over two hours, or close to two hours. That shocks me. It felt like it was tops hour and a half. Yeah. It just felt like, okay, it was two hours. It felt like a two-hour motion graphic that was just, at every turn, so fun to watch. I think I could have watched this movie... Well, I'd say I could watch it on mute, but... For a reason we'll soon discuss, I could not. Um, but I could have watched it with zero dialogue, and I think I still would have just been really, yeah, really engaged. It's one of those movies, kind of like a Wes Anderson movie, and I think this might be typical of Guy Ritchie. I'm not very familiar with his movies, but mm -hmm. a movie where you can press pause at any time and you'd have a really cool screensaver or background <laughs> for your computer. Shout out to our podcast's name, yeah. Another thing worth mentioning, they shot a lot of it on location in Italy. A lot of the movie mm -hmm. takes place in Rome, so that was also just really fun to watch from an architectural standpoint. They go, they're riding a Vespa through all the yeah. the main touristic sites in, in Rome. It was fun. It also kind of made me think back to the first movie that I saw Henry Cavill in, The Count of Monte Cristo, mm -hmm. where... He uh, takes a little, like, spring break type trip to Rome, and when he, uh, in in the book or in the movie, when he goes through the Roman catacombs, mm -hmm. that's when they they stumble upon some gangsters, you could yeah. say, and, and a very similar thing happens in this movie with Army Hammer's character. Oh, very, yeah. I did not make that parallel. Um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was a fun Fun setting. Uh, there are a lot of scenes rampaging through forests and little lakes, and it, it it was relentless visually, but not in a way that was exhausting. Yeah, I which agree. is I think high praise. Another thing I really liked was just the costumes and the makeup. Yeah. Speaking of of colors, I think the '60s are where you get a lot of clothing that was color blocking was huge, mm -hmm. and I think that. Of course, the, the actual aesthetic of the movie was reflecting that, but just in terms of the actual costumes, it was so fun to watch. There's this scene, actually, where they were shopping for clothing and debating brands and what a certain <laughs> character would wear, and it was it was just fun to see that attention put in the movie, to see all the, 
the big earrings and yeah, the crisp jewelry, suits, the eyeshadow. Yep, it was it was all fun in a way that not even I, Mad Men is of course like tops in terms of costuming, but I think this one brought it to it. It was European sixties, which mm-hmm. I think. It reminded me of uh, that episode of Mad Men where Betty and uh, Dawn go to Italy and her her outfits are very different. And I think this was like a movie that would explore that whole closet. So yeah. that, that was that was fun and new. Yeah. There's been a lot of love for 60s costuming lately, but I think that the setting... It really took advantage of that. Definitely. Another thing we liked was, of course, the soundtrack. So good. That's why I said I would refuse to watch this movie on silent or mute. I think this is something that completely took me off guard. A lot of the soundtrack is uh, original, and it was composed by a man named Daniel Pemberton. Shout out to Daniel Pemberton. (laughs) So good. I think this was a movie that had so much, in terms of the soundtrack and everything, a really interesting degree of restraint where you would see people talking but you would not hear what they were saying because the music was playing over. We played a little bit of it at the very beginning of this podcast and one thing you'll notice right away about the music or about the score is that it's very percussion heavy mm-hmm. and of course it's it's paying tribute to the music that we're used to hearing in 60s style spy movies, thriller movies. So that was, it was really neat to hear. But at the same time, they also brought in other famous singers or musicians. You hear Nina Simone in the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. You hear Roberta Flack. And paying tribute to the Italian setting of the movie, there are a lot of songs that are in Italian. And one in particular... By a guy named Peppino Gagliardi was amazing, and it came at a point in the movie where the comedic timing was so perfect, and it really took advantage of this song. Che vuole questa musica stasera? Yeah, it creates the movie. A lot of the humor that the movie came from was the dissonance between the music being either really calm or really upbeat, and then what you're actually seeing on screen. The way that um, the movie paired or married those two things was. It's so hilarious and yeah, on why don't point. you describe that scene? That scene, um, it's it's very action heavy. I don't want to give too much away, but it's a very very action heavy scene. And then all of a sudden, you get this cutaway to one of the characters just eating a sandwich, listening to really beautiful music on the radio, listening to this song. And in the back corner, you see like this huge act- action sequence that other movies would dedicate. A third act to just kind of going off in the top right corner you see a plume of fire coming out but it's completely silent it's just kind of and the character eating the sandwich is just completely oblivious to what's going on or maybe yeah. not oblivious but he's just watching it as if he were in the audience with us 
Not even. He just, he doesn't even care what's going on. He just cares about this Italian sandwich, a nice drink, some grapes. I felt kind of bad for whoever's lunch this guy was stealing because he finds it in a car. But oh my gosh, that the music was what made all of these scenes work so very well. And it definitely added to the tone, and it made it just a fun experience to, to yeah. watch. I would say very easily the music was what defined the tone of this movie. We, even in the trailers, the, the movies and, of course, the colors and everything. Mm -hmm. But the music was, was so strong, so on point, And I will definitely be listening to the soundtrack on its own far long after the memory of this movie's convoluted plot <laughs> fades from my memory. All right, so I think this is a good spot to kind of wrap things up. How would you rate this movie? What are your final takes? I think rating this movie is somewhat challenging in the sense that, critically, it has not been doing that well. I think consistently it's getting around 68%. Okay. Yeah, and I think that it's kind of hard because when you hold it up to other really great quality movies, yeah, it's not going to shine as much. But if you want something that's really campy and that knows what it's doing and isn't really reaching past that, I mean, it's just a fun, funny movie. I think I would give it as high as... Initially, honestly, while watching it, I thought, this is at least an eight. Um, so I guess while watching it, it was like an adrenaline rush. Since watching it, I'd maybe ramp that down to 7.5 if we're using our traditional rate it to using objects. Uh, 7.5 Italian sandwiches. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, final takeaway, I'd say, you know, if you want just a fun movie and you're not too invested in like the Mission Impossible franchise and you're choosing between the two of them, watch this one. Get, take it's a, a good time. It's a good. It's a great time, and the the visuals, the music, make it so worth it. Yeah, I think if I were to rate the plot of the movie itself and the writing, it would be somewhere around more of a six. Mm -hmm. But I think also given the fact that this is a summer movie and True. it's so fun to watch, I would elevate it to something closer to an eight, especially given what I've rated other things that we've seen this summer. So I'm going to rate it 8 out of 10 recording bugs. Russian made. Russian made. <laughs> you know, those sort of things that you stick on a person yep. and it, it records what they're saying. Uh, yeah, but yeah, they pop up several times in this movie to comedic effect. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. As you said before, this movie was a fun time. And even people, I mean, we were talking to my best friend about it, who initially was kind of like, oh, it wasn't that great. But we had a fun time even just talking about it and just talking about the actors and the music and certain scenes. I think, I think it was, it was a solid, solid summer movie. Yeah, it does everything a summer movie is supposed to do. So I'm glad we saw it. It surprised me. A lot of things caught me off guard and... I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would, so I appreciate that, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. So let's let's finish things off with our plugs. You can find this podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud. 
feel free to give it a review if you want. <laughs> please, please rate and review this. We haven't asked for this before. Um, but if you're listening to this, like all, I don't know how many of you, but mom, rate and review this, please. Anyone else that's wandered on here from Facebook? I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, it makes a big difference. So... You can find us there, and in terms of social media, you can follow us on Twitter, at ScreensaverPod, S-A-V-O-R, and on Facebook by searching Screensaver Podcast. Feel free to share any comments on this movie if you saw it, or on the podcast in general. Great. All right. Thanks so much. That's The Man from UNCLE, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.